not tuned to Get Real Parental Coaching, you're listening to your host Sandra True and today we have Jeff Gervitz. He's going to talk about his journey as a dad, his upbringing and any challenges that he may be facing that we could all sort of possibly resonate with from time to time in our lives anyway. So welcome to the show, Jeff. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm great. I'm, feel, I'm glad to be here. Uh, so you want to start with upbringing? Oh yeah, let's oh go goodness. with that. Let's go with that. All right. All right. Uh, so let's see. I was born in uh, in Calgary, which is part of Alberta, which is, you know, I just explained uh, as Texas, Canada. Uh, there's sort of, yeah, more conservative vibe out there. And if you were a little more eccentric or not so neurotypical, you will feel that. Uh, so I, I was never diagnosed. I was part of a generation that were, were ADHD diagnoses were, or ADD at the time were becoming pretty common. I didn't have a diagnosis like that. I knew I didn't love school. I loved learning. I, I hated school. And, you know, as, as we were chatting before Sandra, I, I, I feel like if you have ADHD or you're not so neurotypical, a lot of your early identity is going to be based on where things aren't fitting, where you don't feel at home at school or in relationships or whatever else. And that can often form part of your, you know, or a big part of your identity. And so, you know, the other side of it is we have to realize we sort of live in a neurotypical world where we're lefties who live in a right-handed world and not everything's set up for us. And so you have to often be the one to, to figure out how do I better use, you know, and leverage my own abilities? How do I become more myself? Um, and so with the, with the dads I work with now, we try to look at how do we use a strengths-based approach? Because there are a bunch of superpowers that come with ADHD as well. Things like pattern recognition and a real sort of uh, a drive toward meaning. We actually can't do stuff we don't care about. Um, and so it's a double-edged sword. But what invariably happens is people are drawn into uh, things that feel like they have more significance. You will, uh, I'll, I'll see men who uh, work either for themselves or if they work for someone else, uh, they do so in a, in a in a place where they have a lot of autonomy. So these are all themes we'll kind of see with these folks. I believe that the master quality for any parent is to be present. We have higher degrees of difficulty with presence. There's a lot going on. You know, I sort of describe if we think of the prefrontal cortex as a ga- sensory gatekeeper telling you, okay, this is the seat of your executive function. This is letting you know, hey, uh, respond to this. Don't worry about that. The example I like to use is you, you've got a master in their study, right? They, they're playing chess and they have many rich leather bound books. They're trying to be, you know, trying to do deep strategic work. And meanwhile, and the door person up front is like, don't don't come in unless there's an emergency. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But somebody just give me a 10% off flyer. Also, you know, I just saw lay, I, I just saw three people in red dresses. Can you believe that? Unbelievable. And so it's really hard to, um, so you, you, you don't have that. You have to create different structures because your part of your brain won't do that for you. On the other hand, all that distraction coming back and recentering off, uh, you know, uh, for folks, you know, and I always felt like I was terrible at meditation, but it's like, it's also, you also get a supercharged meditation if you use that because you're distracted and you get to come back many, many times. It's just that the version of meditation that is conventionally taught may not work for you. You have to be a lot more creative. Also good at it. So, you know, I digress as I tend to, but but presence is the master quality for, for parents. And we want to ask, like, what do we need to do to enable you to be present and to, if you're upset or, you know, distracted or frustrated to, you know, regulate emotionally and come back and be there for your kid. So if I can just ask you then, in terms of the household that you were living in, yeah. I'm not sure whether you had siblings or not. How was your childhood in terms of your parents bringing you up? Did you have a strict upbringing? Was it a sort of free for all upbringing? So I was one of uh, four kids. I was the third oldest. My house, my household was was very loving and very supportive. You know, my mom was just here for a visit, and and it was sort of a reminder. I think both parents had not that anybody would have diagnosed them at the time for that generation, but had uh, serious ADHD. My mom, bless her soul, when she's with me, is is sort of ongoing. Like there's no internal monologue. You just hear all 
of her thoughts. And so she'll have a thought and kind of change her mind midway through and verbalize that and then maybe change again. And what I realized was, you know, and then and then my dad, who had he grew up in a abusive home, physically abusive home. And so he had a lot of he had a lot of stuff. He had a lot of anger. He was very any noise would would kind of set him off. And so hit for him, it was a colossal act of will to just be a to not be an abusive parent, right? He had to work through that. So he had a lot of love and he had a lot of care and, and I think a lot of discipline, but it had never really been modeled. Um so I so what what I never really had was was a way to I feel looking back, like I didn't have the maybe the structure that I needed. It wasn't for a lack of desire for my parents, right? Like they just didn't quite know what to do with me. So yeah. I got lots of support, um, and a lot of unconditional love, but it took me into adulthood to kind of figure out how to build systems and structures that I, I personally needed to thrive. So did you always knew you wanted to be a dad, number one? No, not, a, not at all. <laughs> okay. So when you became a parent, how, how did that all come about? Obviously, we don't need to go into those conceptual details, but in terms of your partner, your wife, your whoever your child's mother is, you know, you now found out, oh my goodness, you are going to be a father. Tell me about those feelings. You know, it was something that I think I sat on for a long time because I just thought, you know, I needed to be ready. I needed I needed all the all these things to be ready personally in terms of life in terms of finances all all kinds of stuff and so I I don't know if I ever would have felt like I I'd, I'd gotten there but my wife said you know I want to have a child and and we're going to make it happen and and she said you know I knew that she could be that center but I wasn't confident enough I don't think um, on my own but I knew she could be the center and that and the caregiver to our kid um, where I said okay I know we're going to do okay. It's going to be all right. Okay, this is important. Let's go. And immediately I was, after I'd made that leap and it was a big one, I was excited, you know, and, and there was, I remember a, a woman I knew, she was walking around down the street. Maybe her kid was maybe three or at the time. And I just, I remember seeing them and chatting with them, moving on with my day and I thought nothing of it. And then she found out maybe, maybe it was three or four months after that stuff, my, my wife was pregnant. And she said, after he talked to our son, I knew he was going to be a dad. I could just see oh, it. You wow. know, I guess I, oh, I guess wow. I have googly eyes. I love, I do love kids. I like, I, I really, I really enjoy speaking with kids and interacting with them and just kind of like figuring out where they're at. Um, it's fun. Everybody's different. So, and, and yeah, it's, uh, you know, I kind of feel like we won the lottery. I just, I really, uh, my son, my son is six and, and we just, we have a great time. And he recently discovered a love of reading, which I had at the same age. And I've just, I've tried to not be <laughs> like, not overdo it or be too excited. You know, we try to treat it like any other pleasurable activity, which is say, I'm sorry, buddy, we got to shut her down. We can't, we can't do it anymore. Um, Cause they can tell right when, 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 you know, so, but I'm just delighted watching him grow into a human. And, um, uh, you know, I've been a coach for, for 15 plus years. And I think one uh, gift that sort of brought me is, um, you know, to me, coaching is just kind of understanding, like, what is the right level of challenge for a person at this moment and just mm -hmm. being able to just enough, just a little bit beyond um, so people can feel successful and feel a sense of progress. So I, as much as possible, I've tried to bring that into, into parenting. Love that. So did you feel that you had a good connection with your child, not only when they were born, but when the bump was growing? Because I'm always trying to certainly encourage dads when the bump's growing inside the woman, that's a, almost like a natural connection because it's just there. Yeah. But for dads to connect with the bump, so I call it, how was that for you? Uh, 
uh, it was a little abstract for me to be yeah. honest. Like I know, I know dads who have said, you know, I read uh, the story or, you know, sang the song every night or, you know, a good friend of mine would just speak, speak it to the bump daily. Uh, and, and he said, I wanted my child to recognize my voice. For me, it was a little, it was a little abstract to kind of imagine who is this person? Cause I didn't know, I could only guess. And I didn't want to also build up an idea that that wasn't rooted in reality. But what I did focus on was just taking care of my partner and she was the one rocking the bump. And, and you know what, uh, trickle down economics is, is largely a bullshit, uh, concept, but I think in terms of caregiving, it works beautifully. I think you can take care of the people that take care of other people. And I think, yeah. I think you have to. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. So here you are, she's however, you know, nine months or so, and your mm. child, the love of your life, that you yeah. made with your wife is now being born. Tell me what those emotions, how how you were feeling at that time, holding oh, your gosh. son in your hand for the first time and things like that. Oh, it was, yeah. It was all of the emotions. It was all the emotions. You're you're so hopeful and delighted and nervous and 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 scared. And there's so much you can't uh, control. We were lucky. She gave birth in a hospital where you know with a great uh, maternity ward. It was it was recently built, and you know there there was um, nothing catastrophic happened. Nothing you know too scary. I remember being so nervous driving this kid home. Oh my god. Um, one of my one of the big memories I have. And he would have only been a few weeks old. I was standing in his room. He never used his room. You know a bassinet by the bed, but I was standing in his room and sort of imagining this kid's future and all, all I hope for him. And, and I was sort of transported to that future time. And in that same moment, I began to feel nostalgic uh, when he was just a baby. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I remember sort of shaking myself out of it going, wow, okay. So, I, you know, you, you have so much hope, but you also, you know, you have to stay rooted in the moment of what is right now. And, and like everything else is sort of a construct, right? The, you know, history is a memory or, yeah. or an abstraction. The future is just something we imagine. It doesn't happen yet. The, the only thing we have is is right now. And um, it's easy. We all get that intellectually, but it's easier said than done when it comes to remembering it, especially when you're in moments of, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, what people don't talk about as much about parenthood is there are many, many moments of frustration and annoyance and boredom, all, all sorts of negative emotions and, and bland ones too, but it's all of it. And these can all be reminders that right now is happening. And when I'm at my best, I leverage those. Yeah. How did you get through those first few weeks? Because they're so tough because it's new, you're not sleeping, your wife's not sleeping. How, how did you feel? You got, Did you get much support? Did you have much support around you? We, we had, we absolutely had support, you know, uh, especially when, and we, at that time we were living a lot closer to my, my wife's parents. Um, we had a lot of people that, you know, cared and were checking in a lot and we're sending things, we're sending smart things like food. Uh, and I remember one get one baby gift we got was just a bunch of batteries and, and it's not something you think about, but they're like, you will need these. It was fantastic. But my wife is many things. And one of them is excellent sleeper. And so we were exhausted. And to be clear, I slept a lot better because she she was the one who who would be, you know, woken up and 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 she she did a lot of that heavy lifting. So I just tried to be a you know a support system in, in that time. You know, I own my own business. I, I said I'll be you guys won't see me for for a couple of weeks. And and that was okay. I remember asking a good friend of mine, that's sort of a normal nine to five, like what what do men do if they don't have a paternal leave? If how do they even function? And he said a lot of men, most guys, just kind of show up to work and do a really terrible job for four or five weeks. <laughs> 
And that was that was just the the reality of it. So we made it through and sleep was challenging right up until say just over his first just past his first birthday. And again, my wife is just so adamant about great sleep and we built a routine and she was super structured about it. Again, she did the heavy lifting here. I, you know, I supported and I became part of that that routine. But now we we can both we can tag in and out and it's seamless. And yeah. I'm pleased and grateful to say that since then sleep has never been a struggle. He's a good sleeper. Uh, he's not a napper. He does not <laughs> nap. Yeah, he got it was maybe, I don't know, seven or eight months. It's like not for me. Thank you. <laughs> So you have the whole day to we be have the connected. Whole day together. Yes, yes. <laughs> Sorry, what's your son's name? Martin, ask him. Miles. Miles. I love that. So, what age do you feel that Miles was at before you thought, "Wow, I got this. We've got a real good connection going," and you felt parenting was a little bit easier? I mean, I felt like we always had a, a connection, but I mean, he was he was a lot less interested in me in the you know in the first few months. Like, I yeah, mean, is what it is. I had very little to offer his world, but it was, I mean, we've always been tight, but it was really around um, where he started to speak, you know, maybe maybe around a year and a half or two years where we could really connect. And it's also incredible to watch language acquisition at that age. You leave, oh you know, I'd God. go to work, I'd, I'd come back and I'm like, what happened to your brain? This is <laughs> unbelievable. And what he would take on, uh, not just in terms of vocabulary, but conceptually and be able to kind of roll with. So now, you know, and we've always had a good rapport, you know, like uh, an example Paul would be, he asks when we, when we used to travel, you know, when he was maybe three or four, he'd ask the classic kid question, which is, you know, are we there yet? And I would always lie. And I would always say, yes, we have just arrived. I would, I, I tried to really kind of give him an education in the absurd as early as possible. So he got used to sort of differentiating, you know, knowing that not everything people tell me is, 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 yeah, <laughs> is, yeah, is, is yeah. factual. Okay. Um, I like and I, I feel like that's been part of his education. So, so I'll, yes, yeah, I'll sprinkle in misinformation regularly. And he likes to, you know, he'll call me on it, come, you know, and, and, and that was another thing I sort of noticed even from as, as young as maybe a year and a half or two years where we'd say something to him and, and he would correct us and he'd say, no, it's, you know, or the, he'd say, there's a pig in the corner or something. And we go, oh, children, so ridiculous with their, and there would be a pig, you know, he was right. He was observant and he would see somehow there was a little wooden pig that we don't know how it got there and existed. Um, so I also learned that I could actually trust what he was saying a lot more. He was an astute observer. You know, and we know those kids will tell us the often hard truth. Uh, <laughs> you can always rely on the child to tell you the truth. Yeah. So he's six now and yeah. it sounds like you've got a brilliant relationship with him now. And so what, if you had to say, what are your main struggles at the moment or even any challenges that you're finding right now, what would they be? Uh, always distraction, uh, phones, um, and, and which, which are sort of have this combination of novelty and entertainment, um, an alleviation of boredom and, and, and utility. I'll get, you know, work messages or if, you know, somebody wants to check out the gym, I try to be on uh, Johnny on the spot about that. However, yeah, so it's easy to get pulled out of the moment uh, when you're distracted, when you're tired. And again, even even when you're bored, we had, I had a little epiphany I'll, I'll share because again, like a lot of six-year-old boys, he was asking me three times a day, dad, what's your favorite Pokemon? And I'd be like, oh, uh, you know, I'd make something up and I wouldn't really focus on it. I, I'd, I'd say a thing and move on because I was bored with it. I felt done with it. And then one day I just kind of said, you've asked me this a lot of times, don't you remember? And he seemed quite 
taken aback. Um, and I realized that presence can also be pushing back and challenging. And that that changed the dynamic too, because it pulled him out of autopilot and it was good for both of us. So yeah, normal issues with distraction, but it's one of those things, um, especially when it comes to work. Why are you doing this? Why are you working? You know, Or why aren't you focusing? Why aren't you paying attention? Well, I'm, I'm distracted. I'm thinking about work. Why are you thinking about work? I'm worried about finances. Why are you worried about finances? Uh, you know, because uh, I want to take care of the family. Why do you want to take care of the family? Well, I want, I want everybody to feel safe and, and secure. Uh, why do you want that? You know, so I can be present. It's a classic dilemma. So a lot, a lot of this is right in front of us. You know, you have the option of kind of, I think of it as a wedge when you notice these thoughts, right? Uh, uh, you know, Victor Frankl said, you know, there's a space between action, you know, thought and, and reaction. Yes. Mis- misquoting this, but you know what I mean? And when, when we notice when it's sort of, when we engage in metacognition, when we notice that we are thinking that we are having these thoughts, we have the opportunity in that moment to put a wedge in. And that wedge can be as simple as, as taking a mindful breath. And I think when we, when we do that, we are more likely, we're more able to kind of stay there in, in the moment. Um, we can, we can linger before the next, uh, before the next round. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So tell us about dad's strength. How did that come about? Why did that come about? And at what point of your life did you introduce that? So I started working on it. Yeah. When, when my wife was still pregnant, uh, but it kind of sat like a lot of projects in, mm. in, in cold storage for quite a while. And it was at the beginning of this year that I said, okay, it's, I really would like to, you know, spend more time. I kind of recognize the need for this community. And, you know, as, as we chatted about before, there are a lot of mom resources and a lot of, you know, time and attention that goes into moms, which is deserved, which is important. There's just a little bit less thought of uh, around dads as, as, as nurturers, as caregivers, you know, and a friend of mine asked her husband once, what is it to be a man? He said, it's like a, to be a Clydesdale, you know, you just load, load me up and I'll, I'll plot on. And again, what is the core of presence? What is the core of, of self-care? You know, what I realized was I, I tend to be kind of a systems thinker. And so when I look at, well, what do we need to be present? It sits in the middle of a lot of uh, health behaviors, right? A lot of times, you know, what we do, uh, if you've ever kind of received uh, therapy or counseling or, or, you know, read a self-help book, a lot of what we try to overcome, whether it's emotion or distraction with, you know, we use cognitive override. You know, the, the brain is the most important organ in the body, according to the brain. And the, the neocortex is the smartest part of the brain, according to the neocortex. But we have a lot of us, we're biological entities. And when we can take care of health in a fuller way, so, you know, we, we think of the obvious stuff here as, you know, exercise and nutrition. We also have to think about daily movement, sleep, regeneration, stress management, vocational health. Like what are your relational needs? Are these being met at work? Are people taking care of you? Or are you, do you, are you a, a ball of stress because they're working in opposition to what your, your emotional attachment needs are? These are all things to factor in. And you don't have to be an expert. You don't need an A grade in any of these domains. You need a C plus at best. Uh, we need sort of okayness in all, all domains of health in order to have, to run a resilient system and, and give ourselves the opportunity to, you know, show up for our people. Right. So that's the, you know, I say, take care of yourself so you can be present for your people. And that's, that's what I'm trying to bring to people and, and show, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in the behavior design space as well as the health. You know, what I want to show people a lot of time is it's a lot more accessible than you realize. It doesn't require a 90 minute Epic workout to, to get fitness in, for example, right. Uh, nutrition doesn't have to be uh, broken down to the, you know, nanogram when it comes to, to, you know, micro and macronutrient ratios. And all this. It's, it can be a lot lot simpler and we do this uh, and we have a higher purpose for it. So it's not, it's not self-indulgent. This kind of self-care is absolutely essential.
potential to being a present tuned in partner and parent. So I, I help men with this and and more more recently have been focusing in particular on dads with ADHD uh, because they need extra love and I want to give it to them. I love that. So going back to the ADHD, because you did mention before that you were diagnosed quite yes. later on in life. So how did that come about? I, I had been sort of operating under this understanding. I'd read a great book by Gabor Mate, Canadian physician called Chattered Minds, uh, or probably Scattered Minds. And and there were a lot of stories in there that I really connected with. And, and I thought, wow, okay, this makes a lot of sense. And so I'd sort of been operating under the understanding, the assumption I was there. And my wife said, well, why don't you get a formal diagnosis? And by the way, partners are often the the fuel, the sort of propellant people really need for to take this on. Because you know it, it's not cheap to get yeah. a formal diagnosis, to go through the process. But she really pushed me to do it. And she gave her support to that. And so she gave me a major push to do that. And I wanted to fully investigate and see it may, maybe, you know, would medication make a difference for me? For some people, I know it's profound. In my case, I tried three or four prescriptions. None of it really took for me. But what it did give me a way, you know, uh, or what it did provide me with was a framework for, for operating, the understanding that I didn't just have to spend my life chasing my tail and working on what I was bad at. I could yeah. delegate, I could get systems and support for that stuff so I could really work on what I was great at. Yeah. And uniquely capable of doing. And that that shift was profound. And I want to help more people do that because it's it's so powerful when we start taking a strengths-based approach to who you are and how you operate as a as a parent, as a professional, as an individual navigating life, which is hard for any human being. I don't care. Um, some people have more privilege than others, but it's hard to be human full stop. I think that can be a, a real game changer for people. So where you're living, the area where you're living, how do you feel you're accepted in society as a dad? Because the stories I'm hearing are quite different depending on your environment. You know what? I have a little, I built a beautiful little silo for myself. I know people in this fitness community that I'm in are incredibly supportive. Um, the neighborhood we're in where is is lousy, I tell you, with little kids, um, friends of my, my son, schoolmates, and parents who are very tuned in. So I'm sure on the edges, there are all kinds of conversations about masculinity and fatherhood. And I'm ready to have them, but I don't have to, I'm not besieged by them. I feel like I've... By, by virtue of kind of being not a not a typical person, maybe I've built out my own life in a way that's that's really intentional. So everything in this lovely little silo feels like a fit. I love that. Absolutely love that. And we're just going to wrap it up there, Jeff. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it's been a pleasure, and I, I just love listening to your story. You know, I'm hoping the listeners will get a lot about what you're saying because I'm finding a lot more and more people are being diagnosed, especially with ADHD or ADD later on in life. Mm-hmm. So. So, you know, I think it's really good what you're doing out in terms of dad strength. So where can people get hold of you, Jeff, if they want to know more about dad strength? Uh, it's dadstrength.com. If you, if you're a dad with ADHD and you want to talk, drop me an email, G-E-O-F-F, Jeff at dadstrength.com. I'm happy to chat with you. Lovely. Thank you so much, Jeff. And we shall stay connected. I hope so. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Take you. care. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.